If you've ever been in my home, on top of our piano, we have these two jars about this tall that are filled with purple marbles. And every Saturday, I take a marble out of each jar and I put it away. And those marbles represent the weeks I have with my daughters until their 18th birthday. It's a depressing habit, I know. <laughs> and it seems like there are so many marbles, but it's incredible, right? I, I blinked and I have a 10-year-old. And so I realized, like, I, I don't got time to wait for this message. I need God to tell me to do right now so I can carry out the most important calling in my life. Do you think the coronavirus has been a blessing to marriage? Well, it kind of depends on the marriage, right? If you've opened your eyes to the neighborhood that you live in or scrolled through and read news stories about the impact of the coronavirus, you might see, experience, and read two very different paths of thought. Personally, I've read some pretty heartbreaking stories about domestic abuse during the coronavirus. When people who have a dysfunctional relationship, where there's not love and protection and respect, when they're cooped up in one place, when emotion is high, when the, the pressure of all these changes pushes down so hard, uh, a bad marriage can get even worse. On the other hand, for those who have a healthy marriage, the coronavirus in many ways has been a gift. Those long days of work might be cut short. This free time to hold hands, to walk around the block, to cook meals together, do puzzles together, play board games with the kids. If, if it was a good thing, it's really possible that Corona made it an even better thing. And that's why I'm so glad that you've tuned in today. Because today we're going to talk about God's unique roles for men and women within a relationship. I, I hope and pray that the coronavirus is over soon and it never happens again, but what I do know is that there will still be pressure-packed situations in life. And when those situations come, it is going to be so essential for you and I and those that we love to embrace God's calling. It might be the pressure of a pregnancy, a baby, twins, or a child with special needs. It might be the pressure of a new job, a promotion, a small business, a bankruptcy, or paying off debt. It might be the pressure of a medical situation, cancer, a diagnosis when you think that you're young and healthy. You know, just like I do, that life is so uncertain, that so many things can happen and bring pressure on our homes, but that pressure doesn't have to break us. If we have become the kind of couples and families that God designed us to be, it can help us thrive and we can really leverage the beauty of companionship in Christ. So today, I want you to open your ears to God's word. His united yet unique callings for husbands and wives. And I don't want to warn you up front, they can be controversial. God has a way of stretching both men and women to be more like Jesus than culture really asks. For a man to sacrifice everything and give up everything for his bride, just like Jesus did for his. For a wife to re respect, to submit, is the word the Bible uses. These are tough teachings, but they are so good for all of us. So before you tune into this first part of a two-part series, I want you to hear the story of Kathy Keller. She and her husband, Tim, wrote a really great marriage book called The Meaning of Marriage. 
And Kathy points out that at the beginning of her marriage journey, she really didn't like what God said. <laughs> she was raised to be a strong, independent, intelligent woman who didn't need help from any man. But as she kept reading the Bible passage, she stumbled across this truth that God was just asking her to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. What's offensive about that? <laughs> it's difficult, but it's beautiful. So today I'm going to ask you to open your ears, your eyes, and your heart that you can receive God's calling. Whether you're married or dating, single, divorced, or widowed, we all care about our culture, our families, our neighbors, our relationships. So enjoy this message, and may God bless you as you do. Hey everyone, welcome to our sermon series, God and Gender. If you're just jumping in with us here in week three, I really, really want to encourage you after church today to go online to our website or to the 922 Church app and try to catch up because we have covered massive and really important ground in this really important series for our church. Uh, just in case you are jumping in for the first time, let me kick off with a quick paragraph of review so we can all get on the same page. So for the past two weeks, we've been opening the Bible, talking about God and gender, and we've really been unpacking this picture. That way back in the beginning, before there was sin or chauvinism, sexism or selfishness, God made man and woman unique and united. He made them unique when it comes to their bodies, their strength, the way their, their brains would work. And yet that didn't mean that one was superior or inferior because he made them united in his own image. Uh, both male and female were precious, had incredible worth and value in the sight of God. The Bible does talk about some uniques when it comes to the, the callings and roles of men and women within the church, but if we don't miss the middle, if we remember to value each other and love each other, that doesn't have to be a cause to divide us, but instead it can be a truth that unites us. So that's the review. And here's the preview. Uh, we're going to talk about the toughest week of this series. We're going to talk transgender. So if that's your story and you feel like your body's design doesn't match the thoughts of your mind. Or when you come across it and it's not some reality TV show, but it's, it's your reality, it's your son, your best friend, your, your classmate, someone from our church, what's, what's a Christian response to transgender? What should we do and what should we say to be people who are just like Jesus, full of both grace and truth? But you're going to have to wait for that. Because this week, I want to talk to you about gender and the home. Because few things matter more than when two people walk under the same roof and start a family. I've realized how incredibly personal this topic is for me. Now, I never went on a date with a girl until almost my 18th birthday. But right after that, four days after I, I turned, what, 18, 19, uh, I met Kim, and she became my first ever girlfriend. I had to think about going back to a home that did not just include a boy, but also a girl. <laughs> we got married, we, we moved in together, and then a few years into our marriage, God blessed us with a kid, and it was going to be a surprise, right? There was no like, gender reveal cupcakes in those days. And so on July 7th, what came out of my wife? Another girl. And then 15 months later, which was not our plan, <laughs> here comes another kid into the world, and it was another surprise, and guess what it was? Another girl. So if your math is good, I am a super minority in my home. All right, this one man goes back to a home that's filled with three women. And I realize how much that matters. 
like, that I get what God is asking me to do in his word to treat the women in my life. It is so important. For me to be a good pastor to you is really important, but it is nowhere near as important as what happens after church in my home. If the way a man treats his wife is supposed to be a reflection of the way that Jesus treats us as his people, nothing really matters more than the way that I treat Kim when I go home. And if it's true that, like, children should get a glimpse of our Father in heaven by the way a, a dad is at home, if it's true that my girls might grow up one day and marry someone who's a little bit like their father, then nothing, I think, in my entire life matters more than what happens in my home. And I'm smart enough, like so many of you parents have, have taught me to be, that the years go by fast. If you've ever been in my home, on top of our piano, we have these two jars about this tall that are filled with purple marbles. And every Saturday, I take a marble out of each jar and I put it away. And those marbles represent the weeks I have with my daughters until their 18th birthday. It's a depressing habit, I know. <laughs> and it seems like there are so many marbles, but it's incredible, right? I, I blinked, and I have a 10-year-old. And so I realized, like, I, I don't got time to wait for this message. I need God to tell me to do right now so I can carry out the most important calling in my life. But it's not just a personal thing for me, it's actually pastoral for us. Because in the five years of being your pastor, I've learned that home is where your heart is. It's where your heart is most often helped or hurt. As I think about the work that I do, the emails you send me, the text messages, and the counseling appointments, I realize what happens at your jobs matters and stuff at school and with friendships matters. But most of the time, when you reach out to your church, it's because of your home. Home is where your hearts are. And I was thinking about our church family this past week. I actually pulled out our church directory and I read through all, what, about 400 names of those of you who call this your church. And I took out a piece of paper and I tried to make two columns. One, a list of all the adults that I've counseled in my five years here as a pastor. How many people had either gotten divorced or had thought about it, had struggled in their relationships? And then in the second column, I made a list of all the kids who were affected by those families. About 400 total people. And not all of them come from those situations. Some are, are young and single, never been married. Do you know how many tally marks I made? I'll show you a picture. 112. And the marks were hard, but what was harder were the memories. As I thought about in my office, the tears and the expressions and the sins and the confessions and how hard it was and how, how much people struggled to rebuild trust and to find hope again and they were begging God to make it work. And I realized how important today's message is for, for you. Because whether it's your marriage or your future marriage or your parents' marriage, whether it's your son's marriage or your sister's marriage or your best friend's marriage, we, we really care about marriage at our church no matter what our relationship status. And not just because hearts can be hurt at home, but because they can be really helped too. 
At the same time, as I was reading through that church directory, I, I came across name after name, couple after couple, family after family who were thriving. Um, husbands and wives that I had seen downtown on my date night, having a date night, holding hands, being affectionate. And I saw the names of all the kids from those families. And, and I was thinking about how their biggest struggles are like the chores they have to do at home during the summer or what college they're going to get into or if they'll make first chair violin or, or the varsity team because they know they just know because they see it that mom and dad love each other and it's a safe place when they go home. And it reminded me how much is riding on today. If God can help us and we can get this right, if we can embrace his design, we will be so incredibly blessed. Our, our hearts will not be hurt but helped. And that's why today I want to open this book and talk to you about marriage. Uh, because the Bible says so much about it. Both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians in the first century, which is fascinating. Peter was a married man and Paul was a single guy, but they both cared about the church and relationships. And today I want to take you into probably the least known section of what Paul and Peter wrote about marriage. The Apostle Peter, what he said in 1 Peter chapter 3. He's going to give all you husbands, future husbands, and those of you who love husbands, three tips on what a godly husband does. And then he's going to talk about three things a godly wife should do. And most importantly, he's going to remind us of the God who's going to help us do both. So husbands, if you're ready to dig into the word and to take some good notes, here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. That's where he starts. Be considerate. If you're taking notes, the first fill in the blank is no mystery to figure out. Husbands, be considerate. <laughs> and guys, you know what that means? It means you should be considerate. You should, <laughs> you should consider the woman that you're with. You should think about her. You should pay attention to her. You should get your PhD in your bride. You should watch. You should take notes. You should remember and you should consider. And the reason Peter has to intentionalize that is because men and women are unique. She's not you. <laughs> and even more, women are not mass-produced in some female factory. Like, each woman was fearfully and wonderfully made by our Heavenly Father in her mother's womb. Which means when you meet this girl, you have to learn how he, she is uniquely made. And so guys, this means consider your wife's personality. What makes her feel charged up and loved and safe and what stresses her out and makes her feel anxious. Consider her love language. Does she feel super loved when you go out on a date or when you help her with a to-do list at home? It's holding her hand and physical touch or a, a well-timed gift. What, what makes her feel loved? Consider her. Consider her strengths. Like how does she approach parenting or, or chores or her education. Uh, leverage those strengths for the good of her, her future. Consider her past. How did her last boyfriend treat her? What was her first marriage like? What were her parents like in, in their home growing up? Consider it, remember it, and put it to good use. Consider what, what helps her feel safe and protected and loved. If a good man is supposed to be like a good rib, what what just helps her breathe and feel good about being at home? Is it taking a walk with your dog? 
Is it a, a glass of wine and a good episode of Netflix? Is it talking about your day and all the little details and how you felt about this and this and this? It, it's going to be different for every single woman. And so Peter says this, husbands, be considerate. <laughs> Let your wife feel so treasured because you have paid such close attention to how she is and how she feels loved. Which means, husbands, you got some homework for today. Where are my husbands at in church today? Hands nice and high. Yeah. If you're dating, also put your hands up. How about that? Very cool. All right, where are my wives at today? Hands nice and high. All right, wives, I need you to do something for me real quick. I need you to put two fingers in the air like this. And until I do this to you, I need you to stick those fingers in your ears. All right, good. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Everyone. All right, husbands, here's your homework you're going to make a considerate list. Step one, write a list of all the things you know about your wife. Step two, share it with your wife. Step three, prepare to be kissed. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, what makes a wife feel so intimate, connected, and, and close is when she feels safe and known and loved. All right, that's your homework. Okay, ladies, if you have your fingers in your ears, you can take them out now. The first thing, according to the Apostle Peter, a husband should do is to be considerate of his wife. And the second thing is also in verse 7. Peter says, Husbands, also treat your wives with respect as the weaker partner. All right, ladies, before you get mad at me or at the Apostle Peter, um, let me tell you, Peter is not a chauvinist. Uh, Peter just knows what we learned way back in the beginning of this series, that men and women physically are unique. And so he has to tell husbands that because they're unique physically, it's very, very important that they respect their wives as the weaker partner. Let's write this down, and then I'll tell you what it means. He says, husbands, treat your wives with respect. Uh, this is actually something a number of you women told me in the, the 10 or so interviews I did with females before this series started. I asked many of you, you know, tell me what I don't know about being a woman. Well, those are interesting conversations. Holy cats. <laughs> I learned a lot, but uh, do you know what two separate women said to me? They said, Mike, you don't know what it's like to walk down the street and be afraid. They said, when you go out and take a run, when the sun hasn't come up just yet, when you're in a strange city, like, you, you don't know what that's like. And, and they were right. I, I never thought of it. I've run in big cities, metropolitan areas, country roads, five in the morning. I've never felt afraid. It's not because I'm a big guy who can defend himself either. But the truth is, most men are stronger than most women. And if they're evil men, they can really hurt women. And sometimes married men are evil men. And so Peter says, husbands, respect your wife. In fact, later in verse 7, Peter says, respect your wife so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Like, if you're disrespecting the physical difference between you and you make her afraid in your home and then you're going to say your bedtime prayers, God's doing this. And he's not listening. He doesn't want to hear the voice of one of his sons who is hurting one of his daughters. So guys, let me be blunt with you. 
If a woman in your home does not feel safe, be a man and get help. Okay, we love you. God loves you. But if the size of your body or the size of your personality is making a woman or children be nervous or afraid for their safety, you be a man and you get help. And if you don't know how to get help, you write it down on that little card in your bulletin and and we will help you. But God has called you to be a rib, to let the people who are closest to you, if they can't, you need help and you need to get it. Husbands, be considerate and treat your wives with respect. Which brings Peter to his final point. Perhaps is most important. He says, Husbands, treat your wives with respect as the weaker partner and treat them as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Now, ladies, that sentence right there should stun you. You don't have to be a, like a first century scholar to guess how women were often treated in the ancient world. They were often second class. They weren't as important in the political world, in the work world, even often in the religious world. But Peter's not into that. Because notice what he says. Husbands, treat your wives as heirs with you. Not beneath you, not below you, not behind you. When it comes to the inheritance of life, eternal life, life with God, A woman who believes in Jesus is a co-heir with her brothers in the faith. It's massively important. You've got to write this down. Peter says, Husbands, I want you to treat your wives as a co-heir. Here is a fellow Christian. This means that when we die, the front row seats to see the face of Jesus will not be gender specific. No, instead, it will be man and woman, woman and man, all so close to Jesus to feel so at peace by his protecting blood and his unfailing love. In an age when women got, often got the short end of a stick, Peter gave them the most amazing promise in the world, that the world might be broken, but the promises of God will never be. Here is a co-heir. Here is a woman who has also fallen short and has been made perfect, restored into the image of God himself by the cross of Jesus Christ. And guys, there's good news in there for you too. Because <laughs> it didn't say you're a bunch of bumbling idiots and the women get it all right. No, it says they're heirs with you. The gracious gift of life, the grace of God to cover over the times when we didn't consider the women in our lives, the, the, the life that covers over the, the death that maybe we brought into our homes, all of it is wiped away and forgiven and erased by Jesus. That's what makes us a fellow inheritor of eternal life in the name of Jesus Christ. And guys, that's why the best thing we will ever do is to take the hands of the people who are in our homes and lead them to Jesus. Not just walk behind me, you walk with me. Side by side, we are saved and we're going to seek God together. That's why at our church, we love these. We call them a My Roots plan. It's a simple plan 
for how we're going to gather and do life in a group and grow in the word at home and give and go to the people that we know. And husbands, when the Bible says that you're the head of the home, essentially what it means is you have the incredible privilege and authority and responsibility for this. Like, you don't have to know the Bible. You don't have to be great at praying out loud. <laughs> Maybe she went to church longer than you have, but, but God wants you to lead the way. Saying, hey, here's how we're going to read. Here's how we're going to worship. Grab my hand and let's seek the inheritance that is already ours because of Jesus. Husbands, if you don't have one of these, I want you to grab one at the Welcome Center before you leave today. Because if our calling essentially is to be a rib, to make people feel safe and at peace, nothing makes people feel more at peace than being close to Jesus. So, husbands, there's your calling. Be considerate. Treat your wife with respect. Remember that she is a co-heir of the Christian faith. And if we can do that, we will love the women in our lives as Jesus loves his church. And all the women in church today who wanted that to be the case, they joined their voices and they said, Amen. 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 Thank you very much, ladies. <laughs> all right, now it's your turn. So what does Peter say to the women? The answer is, a lot. It's kind of fascinating. If, if a pastor wants to be a reverse chauvinist, he opens his Bible to Ephesians 5 and he says, ladies, look, look at this. You only get one verse and then Paul needs like 10 verses to fix the dudes. But in 1 Peter 3, that's the opposite. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that message as much as I enjoyed teaching it. But we're not done. That was just the first part of a two-part message as we think about God and gender within marriage. So I hope you can join us next week and we will see you then. Transgender. How does that word make you feel? Maybe you find it hard to care because it doesn't concern your daily life. Maybe you get uncomfortable. Maybe you get angry. Maybe you know someone who struggles with this issue. And even if you don't, today's culture promises that this topic will confront you. How do you approach transgender issues? The answer is, you reflect Jesus and be full of love and truth. But how do you do that? We want to help you by unpacking this sensitive and often confusing issue with our new book, Gender Identity, Who Am I? How Much Am I Worth? And Who Gets to Decide? By one of our contributing authors, Pastor Matt Ewart. This book looks at the gender identity movement and why it's important to understand it. It's an honest look at God's design and purpose for gender. And through Jesus' perfect example, this book will help us move past our differences and connect with people looking for value and purpose, ultimately leading them to the grace and truth found only through Jesus. Gender identity, who am I? How much am I worth and who gets to decide is our way of saying thank you for your support. Request your copy by calling 800-661-3311. Visit timeofgrace.org. Write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201. Or text TIME to 313131 to give today. Time of Grace doesn't end here. We offer so much more. Visit us at timeofgrace.org you'll discover resources to help you in your walk of faith. These include blogs, Grace Moment devotionals, and our prayer wall. 
You can also stay encouraged with our daily video devotionals. Connect with us on social media. Join our Facebook group where you'll meet a strong community of believers. Follow us on Instagram and get an inside look at our ministry. And if you need someone to pray for you, call us or visit our prayer wall. Thank you so much for your support. We'll see you here again next week. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Mike. You probably thought you were done listening to me, but here I am again, because <laughs> I need your help. We love more people to hear this great message of God's love. So if you could rate and review this podcast, it could reach more inboxes, more ears, more eyes, more hearts, so that people could have more hope in Jesus. If you like listening to our podcast and finding out how you can keep God's word at the center of your life, hop on over to our friends who produce the podcast, When Fear Reigns. Dr. John Parlow, who is actually my childhood pastor, and Pastor Ben Workentine answer your questions and take a deep dive in how to live your Christian faith in an increasingly secular world. Check them out on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.